welcome, welcome, my friends, to the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. This is episode number six, recorded October the 12th, 2020. I've been sitting on two secret novels, and after your responses from the last episode, I decided to publish one. The only question is, which one? One thing stands out from the survey in our last podcast. You want a new book. A few people were excited about a Resonant Saga box set. Most of you were interested in the Plaguewalker project. But on the question of whether or not I should release one of my unpublished secret books this fall, 89% chose the publish one now option. Cool, I thought. Great. And then... Shit. Which one? I don't want to pick it myself. I mean, I could, or I could tell you about all the blood and sweat and tears I built them from, and what the other one was built from, and what they mean to me, and which one I think you'd like better. But honestly, I think you guys are going to do a better job of that. So this week, what I'm going to do is read you the description for each of them, kind of like the blurb that you'd see on the back jacket of a paperback, or uh, see next to the page on Audible. Um, And then I'll read a couple minutes of the beginning of the book. And then I'm going to ask you to pick. If you're listening to this sometime in October 2020, hit the link in the liner notes and vote. And if not, then I guess you're getting an inside peek into which one of these books is still a secret, and hopefully the other one's out and you can buy it. Uh, We'll start with option number one, Daughter of Flood and Fury. Alethea Viola is a walking heresy, a girl born with a man's magic. She studies among the city's revered monks only on the authority of her father, head seer of the temple. Already disliked for her gender and blasphemous magic, Things fall apart when her father is deposed and murdered. Searching for answers to his sudden death, Alethea stays on at the temple only by being the best and by burying her grief in the quest. It isn't enough. Enemies in her class bring her to the new head seer, who publicly sentences her to death while privately admitting he killed her father. Calling on those few loyal to her father, Alethea manages to escape, but finds herself alone in a hostile city unsure how to survive and unable to hide her heritage. Hunted by the temple and darker elements in the city, to vindicate her father she must first learn the lesson he couldn't teach her, how to find the strength in her difference. Daughter of Flood and Fury, Chapter 1, Untouchable. I crouch ankle deep in running water, blindfolded, reading the current. I hear the whole chamber through the water, the mutters of the watching students, the patient tick of my trainer's thoughts, the worry and anger of Erjuna across the wide floor for me, his mind seeking to read mine. I refuse it. That's the first rule of water sight. Do not let your opponent in, only those you trust. I let no one in. Erjuna tries to keep me out, but he's slacked off in the last few months, like the rest of them, like the whole temple. Become more interested in politics than studies, and so they've all gotten weak. I've fought half my class today and not taken a scratch. Erjuna is the last of them, many say the best of them, because they don't want to admit that I'm the best, that a girl could be the best. Sometimes I hate my dad for putting me here, for discovering I have water sight when I shouldn't, for using his position to get me in anyway, for making me the only female seer in a temple of men. I'm a walking heresy, a challenge to everything they believe. That's what finally got him deposed, got him drowned in front of me six months ago while the whole temple watched. I hate them for killing him, even though I resent him for putting me here. It's messed up, I know. Welcome to my world. Erjuna makes his charge. 
I would know he was running even if I hadn't read his decision because of the way his thoughts stutter, feet splashing in and out of the water. His mind is a mess, thoughts slipping through his blind like a school of fish through fingers. Calculation on how to beat me, and worry he'll be humiliated and stress about losing his place as the head of his house. I wait till the last second, confident in my water sight though I'm blindfolded, and all I can hear are the shouts and cries of the watching students. I need to do more than win here. I need to win so decisively my enemies won't dare attack me. I need it more than I need my trainer's approval or a position in one of the houses, because this is about more than the training now. It's about staying alive. Erjuna strikes, chopping his staff down overhand. He thought it well before he did it, so I'm ready, rolling left at the last second, hearing his curse through the water as the wood cracks into stone. My staff slaps into his knee, but he's good enough that he recovers with a strike at my chest, and for a few seconds we dance and dodge blows, staffs cracking and water splashing, though it's a foregone conclusion. His concentration drops even more in action, and I read his thoughts like a merchant's banner, see the desperate strike of my head before he tries it. I duck, his blow cutting air above me, then drive the butt of my staff into his sternum, hard. He doubles over, wheezing, and I deliver a series of blows to his ribs, his knees, then a crack on the head that drops him like a dead man. I should stop now. I've won, I know that, everyone knows that. But winning isn't enough. I need fear from them, a show of strength so intense the other students won't dare come at me, and the theocrats won't dare disappear me despite my gender. So I press the staff into his throat, finding it even blindfolded. I can feel his throat flex through the wood. Yield, I say, not in the water as I should, but in the air so everyone can hear it. His thoughts are a mess, an angry jumble of defeat and humiliation and strategizing how to save face, how to convince his friends he should still be head of their house. Apparently it includes not yielding right away. Too bad. I need everyone to see the second best fighter in our class is a distant, distant second. Yield, I say again, pressing harder. He starts choking. Yield, he finally croaks, throwing up his hands. I lift my staff. Witch. He spits, getting up from the water. Beating him is a mistake. Erjuna is the second best seer in our class, the most popular, and the best with words, something I suck at. He's an easy pick for class leader, which means his house will likely get elevated this year to full seership. If I had just bowed down to him, at least let him touch me, maybe he would have taken me, taken my strength and skill over my heresy. Not anymore. It's a mistake, but all I have are mistakes now. A mistake to not make friends, but a bigger mistake to trust anyone as my father's usurpers disappear all of my relatives. A mistake to defeat my whole class without taking a scratch, but a bigger mistake to show any weakness when they'd readily off me to improve their own chances. The best seer in generations, the town criers are saying. If only she wasn't the daughter of the former chosen. If only she wasn't a girl. So I have to be stronger than all that, untouchable, the best they've seen, or they'll disappear me, kill me or marry me to some minor merchant, or send me to a distant river post to relay messages the rest of my life. I can't let that happen, because if it does, I'll never find out what happened to my dad, and I'll never be able to ruin the bastards that did it. So that's Daughter of Flood and Fury. 
It's a fast-paced murder mystery coming-of-age type story that revolves around gender-based magic uh, and sets the stage for this much bigger, more epic conflict uh, that I'd love to write, so the following books would be a lot of fun. Um, this one I meant to just be a quick emotional punch. Uh, I think it's exciting, it's fast-paced. Okay, and option number two, The Cursed. The God Emperor is dead, and instead of a successor, in his place we have a curse that a Darkbringer will come and lay waste to the nations of the world, someone born of the generation after his death. Someone like me, or my friends, or my tormented brother who escaped the nation's elite academy with new darkness in his heart. The sign of the curse is in the sky, and the trials to decide our fate are just a few days away. I tell myself I'm only trying to win to stop the curse, to keep someone worse from fulfilling it, because even with all that power, I wouldn't let myself become evil, right? All right, and here is chapter one of The Cursed. The Cursed, chapter one. I step to the terrace edge and fear rises like a kicked beast. Our village sleeps in the pre-dawn light below, a patchwork of water wheels and thatch roofs spilling down the mountain to Loma City with its hundred bridges over the river gorge. Crickets chirp and sparrows sing in the cool air and the waist-high millet behind me smells earthy with dew. I breathe deep. This is not fear of getting hurt, though the drop is steep enough to break legs. It's not fear of dying either, though that's totally reasonable given what I'm about to do. It's fear of getting stuck. In half an hour, I need to be back down the mountain, tending our mill, starting the coals, and grinding the maize, and doing everything my dad used to do. The same things I've done every day since my brother left. The things I'll do till I die, unless I find a way out. Which brings me here. I heft the wing sail in my right hand, a cobbled together half moon of balsa and leather and pulley ropes, and glance down. The drop below me is 40 feet, the next terrace 30 feet below that. Plenty of height for a light foot to jump off and fly. Only I'm not a light foot. I'm too big for it. Lightfoots are thin, wiry little people, and I'm built like an ox on stilts. I haven't had the training either. Most apprentices take years to fly. Not to mention, Lightfoots need to be free to go anywhere, anytime. Still, for this little piece of mourning, I'm anyone I want to be. And I have the one thing most apprentices have to train years for. The sensory ability to trade hearing for weightlessness. And that's all you really need to fly. I focus on my hearing, zeroing in on the papery rustle of the millet grass, the soft slur of the creek running to my right, the penetrating chirp of crickets rubbing their wings in the field behind me. Zero in on the sensation and grasp it inside, braiding it into perceptual energy. The chirps fade, the rustle dies, and the rush of water grows faint. I keep braiding, keep pulling the power of my hearing tighter inside, until the world goes dead silent. I can't hear the sound of my own voice like this, but all the joints in my body go loose, like I'm floating in a pool of air. That's the price of sense braiding. You gain an ability, but trade a sense to do it. Hearing for reduced weight, in my case. Use it too much, and you lose the sense permanently, like the quarry workers who go blind from braiding their sight into strength all day. Lightfoots go deaf too, eventually, but I'm a long ways from that. And according to how my last attempt at flight went, I'm gonna die well before I need to worry about hearing loss. I don't care. This is what I want, the solution to getting stuck. I roll my shoulders and almost float off the ground, I'm so light. 
Okay, step one accomplished. I've always known I'm good at branding sound. But step two? Step two is me not panicking when I actually jump off this ledge, when my wing sail grabs the morning breeze and I shoot up 100 feet. Because panic means losing the braid, and losing the braid means a long fall to a hard landing. Lucky for me it was planting season last time I tried this, and instead of breaking my legs I just sank into mud up to my thighs, twisting both ankles and wrecking my salvage wing sail. It took me a moon to rebuild it. The patties are all dried up now, rice stalks starting to put on seed. Fear getting the best of me this time will mean a lot worse than twisted ankles, but I can't not try. It's either this, or I give up hope of ever being anything other than a small town mill worker. And I would rather die than do that. So I jump. For a second, I think it's not going to work. That I didn't braid myself light enough, or the breeze died or something, and I'm gonna drop like a stone. Then the wind catches me and I soar straight up, a whoop ripping out of my lungs. I shoot up a hundred feet, two hundred, terraces vanishing below me, gardens and trees and houses going from regular size to miniatures to a child's model of them, built out of clay in a farmyard, only real. It's amazing. A bird circles below me, and the sun pops out from behind the border peaks to the east, a sunrise just for me. Then the wing sail starts to skew above me and I tug on the fin wings, trying to level out. It mostly works. Below me the valley spreads out like a painting in impossible detail. Sen River sparkling in a wide loop through a patchwork of fields and pastures to the royal deeps, Chatley's eye rising like a solitary tooth in the wide plain. My little brother is up there somewhere, I know, training to be a perceptic warrior at the National Institute. They chose him over me when they came to test us. He probably does this all the time, would probably laugh at how hard I'm trying. The wing sail shakes me out of my thoughts. I'm pulling backwards in air, losing ground. I lean forward, trying to steady myself out. The vibration I felt gets stronger and I look up to see one of the wing leathers has pulled free and is flapping wildly in the wind. If I hadn't braided hearing so tight, I would have heard it. No way to fix it now, just need to get down in one piece. I glance down to judge where I am and the ground is closer than it was. I'm losing height. Falling, in other words. Panic claws up and I push it down, focusing on my braid. Everything will be fine as long as I keep the braid tight, keep myself weightless. Even with the weight of the wing sail, it'll be a slow fall, an easy landing. But let go of it and... I glance down again. The ground is coming up fast. Too fast? I get a sick memory of last time, of tumbling out of control then smacking into the paddy hard enough to lose consciousness. Pure luck keeping me from landing on a stone wall or building instead. I won't let that happen again. I can't. This wouldn't shake Oni, my younger brother, and he was always the cooler-headed one. I grit my teeth. I can be like that. I lean back, trying to slow the sail, filling the leathers with as much air as they'll hold. Panic pulls at me as the ground swirls up. I force my thoughts to advice Lightfoots have given me on flying, talking in the city square. I spread my weight out further on the frame, pull the edge sails as far out as they'll go, and the spin slows, turns almost into a glide, even if the frame feels like it'll shake apart at any moment. Panic is still here, pulling at me like a mad dog, but I can be stronger than it. I will be stronger. I rattle down in Widow Mama's maize garden, two terraces up from our mill, and gratefully let my braid unravel. The world is still silent, except for a faint ringing sound. The dullness, Lightfoots call it, like a sensory hangover. It's the first sign of deafness, but it'll pass. I sit down and let the panic unwind, now that it's safe. 
After my heart slows, I remember the rush, the glory of being up so high, the ultimate freedom, and I grin. It was amazing. This is the first time I've really gotten up, really flown, and it's everything I thought it would be. And if that leather hadn't come loose, but no, that's not the whole reason I fell. I lost my concentration too, not on the braid, but on what I was doing. Started thinking about Oni, about him getting chosen over me, the same old thoughts that run through my head every day. Jealousy that he got out and I'm still here. And loneliness. Despite everything, he was my best friend. With him gone and dad drinking so much, I feel like I've lost my whole family. And still, I can't leave, because if I did, who would take care of dad? And how would Oni find me when he graduates? I get up and pick up my broken windsail. Flying was amazing today, but the truth is I'm as stuck here as I ever was. Okay, so going back through this book has made me remember how much I love it. This is the first novel I wrote with an ensemble cast, uh, and playing the characters against each other as they start off cooperating with good intentions, but knowing only one of them can win, and that one's going to become a world-destroying evil person, <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. So now that I've read you the descriptions and you've heard a bit of the opening chapters, um, it's up to you. Which one would you like to read more? If it's still October 2020 or even a little later, uh, find the link in the liner notes and let me know. Like I said, I love both these novels um, and I'm excited to write the sequels. Whichever one you choose, um, I think I'm probably committed to putting out the following books in it. The Cursed it was... I was planning to make it a trilogy, and The Daughter of Flood and Fury <laughs> was going to be more like nine books, as I recall, uh, but shorter books. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Which book do you want to read right now? Hit the link. Give me a vote. In my own reading, uh, I just finished The King's Blood. That's book two of the Daniel Abraham series I was telling you about in the last couple of podcasts. It was super good, just as good as the first one, um, but I'm feeling like I need a break, need a different author, different series. Uh, I'm getting back into Ruin Blessed and writing it. I feel like I should be reading something that's kind of similar to see what's going on in the in the genre and uh, not to steal ideas, but to make sure I don't overlap any ideas. So if you've got any books you love that have desert settings or arcane ancient technology mixed with magic or characters who win through determination and a knowledge of physics, <laughs> send them my way. I'd love to read them. And I always like talking books. I don't have enough people in my life that I can talk books about. So uh, with that, I think I'm back to Ruin Blessed. I hope this podcast finds you well and reading great fiction. Until next time. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Beggar's Rebellion, visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free Resonant Saga audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, send him an email at beggars.and dot brawlers at levijacobs.com. Thanks for listening and read on.